the book of Acts so that we can bring together what's been happening in Acts. Paul had done God had sent Paul out for his gospel ministry. God had saved him in under some miraculous circumstances. And if you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, Paul was on that road to Damascus and he had every intent to go to Damascus and to put believers in jail, arrest them, or to bring them back to Jerusalem and prosecute them and even kill them. While he was on his way there, Jesus interrupted him and he got to know Jesus. It changed his life. It changed the way that he thought. It changed the way that he acted, and it changed his whole purpose. And in fact, it gave him purpose in life. And this is the purpose that it gave him. In verse 16, Jesus had called one of his believers, Ananias, to go and minister to Paul. And Ananias was a little skeptical. He said, I heard of this Paul guy. His name was Saul then. I heard of this Saul guy, and he's, he's come here for no good. But Jesus said to Ananias, I want you to go, and I want you to do as I've said, and go and meet this man and minister to him. And he says this to Ananias, verse 16, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. In the verse before that, he says, Go, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Jesus is expressing his purpose for Paul's life. He's to carry my name. He's to be a witness, a testimony, a display of of me. He's to take the message of me everywhere he goes. And he says specifically, he's going to take it to the kings and to Gentiles and before the people of Israel. This is the mission that Jesus has specifically for Paul. We see the mission that Jesus gave his disciples, his disciples in general in Acts chapter 1, that they are to go and they're to be witnesses of Jesus. What were they to witness about Jesus? That he lived, that he died, that he rose again. That he lived in a unique way like no other human being has ever lived. I talked with a man on the street yesterday who had a respect for Jesus, but didn't believe that he was who the Bible says that he is. I would ask him and anyone else to consider the life of Jesus and to look closely at him. And why do you respect him? 
Well, you would respect him because of the way he lived, but it's way more than respect. You see in Jesus a man who lived as no other human being ever lived. He himself said that he was without sin. Now, that's either prideful, arrogant, and foolish, or it's true. You be the judge. He himself says he is the very son of God. Again, that's either prideful, arrogant, and foolish, or it's true. You can't go halfway with Jesus. Either he is who he says he is, or he's a total fraud and shouldn't be respected at all. You do well to respect him because what he says is true. You're commanded not only to respect him, you're commanded to obey him and to bow down to him and to surrender to him. You see, that's what happened when Paul realized who Jesus was. Who are you, Lord? I'm the one you're persecuting. When you go against my people, you're going against my kingdom and me. I'm King Jesus. Paul was in awe. And now he has a new purpose, and that is to be a witness. Notice specifically what he says. You're going to be a witness of me. You're going to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. We see this being carried out. You wonder why do we spend so much time in Acts chapter 24 and 25, and you wonder, what's the, what's the point of this story? Let's get into it in just a moment. But... The point of this story is that Paul is acting out the very purpose that Jesus has set for him. And I ask you, have you found out the purpose that God set for you, and are you acting that out? If you haven't found it out, you should be looking very diligently for it. And if you're going to look for it, you've got to ask God. Ask Jesus what it is he would have you to do. He's going to tell you through his word. So Paul is saved. God sends him out to do that mission, and he goes to several places. And after ministering, what we call that, that first missionary journey, he comes um, to, to uh, uh, Jerusalem. And Acts chapter 15 is where we pick it up. Um, we see the Jerusalem council. And the, the council deals with this issue of do you have to be circumcised and obey the law in order to be saved? And they deal with that question, and the answer clearly is no. That is not how one, one is, is, is right with God by what they do in acts of righteousness. They're right by God by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ will produce righteousness, but it's not the righteousness that gets us right with Christ. It's not the righteousness that gets us right with God. It's trusting Christ. It's his righteousness, what he did on the cross in our place, and us believing in Christ that gets us right with God. We also see in Acts 15 that Paul is separated from Barnabas. They have a schism. They have a division, and they separate. And then Paul and Silas come together. Acts chapter 16 
we see uh, Paul meets Timothy, and Timothy joins this ministry team. Uh, Paul goes to Macedonia. We see what we call the Macedonian call. God is, Paul is looking for direction, and God is sending him over to this, er- to this area. He goes to Philippi, and he meets uh, a woman named Lydia. She's saved, and he also is thrown in jail. And um, in jail, he ministers to the, uh, the, the jailer, and we see that man and his whole household coming to trust Christ. That's Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 17, we see Paul in Thessalonica. Uh, he's attacked by uh, um, Jason, who's the, uh, the, uh, the silversmith who makes idols. Um, uh, we see Paul, after that, going to the little town of Berea, where he finds some believers there. We see Paul at Athens, and we see that he's provoked by what he sees going on in, in, in Athens. He's provoked by the idolatry that he sees around him. What about you? When you hear the news, what's happening in Milwaukee, does that provoke you? Does it challenge you in your heart to uh, be a witness and a testimony for Jesus Christ? We see also Paul addresses the Areopagus court. That was the court of the philosophers or the court that he was brought before where the philosophers were uh, questioning um, his faith there. And he gives a testimony and a witness there. In Acts chapter 18, uh, we see Paul at Corinth. Um, If I can direct your attention to Acts chapter 18, I want to just pick up on a verse, verse 8 there. It's a highlight of that chapter. Verse 8, where it says, Just the end of that verse. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. We see the work that the result of the work in Corinth. We also see him meeting a couple named Aquila and Priscilla, and he joins together in work with them. They were were, uh, of the same trade. Uh, We also see Paul brought before the tribunal there. Um... And gone on, go, he goes on to Antioch in Acts chapter 18, and he speaks boldly at Ephesus in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 19, there he is in Ephesus. He ministers to 12 uh, uh, disciples of John, and they are saved in Acts chapter 19. Uh, he speaks boldly in the synagogue for three months in Ephesus, and he continues there for two years in the hall of Tyrannus. In other words, he's building believers up there in uh, Ephesus. Another interesting incident in Acts chapter 19 is the sons of Sceva. Remember them? Who who, uh, tried um, um, tried to command evil spirits and deliver people of evil spirits, and the evil spirits jumped on them and beat them and... uh, uh, in fact, remember the, 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 the word that was said there. What is it? Acts chapter 19, verse 15. Let me just read that. Evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? So they were trying to deliver in the name of Jesus, but did not have relationship with Jesus and did not have access to his power. We also saw that um, um, those who turned from the occult took their 
materials and burned those materials. And we, we see what a great, uh, um, what, what the worth of that, the value of those materials were. In other words, we see them wholeheartedly walking with the Lord and, and turning from their old lifestyles and, and trusting and obe- uh, obeying um, the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 20, we see Paul in Greece and also in Troas. And uh, in Troas, we see Paul preaching until midnight. And Eutychus raised from the dead after he falls out of a third-story window. Uh, We also see Paul speaking to the elders of Ephesus there in Acts chapter 20, the great message that he gives to them. And they are sorry to hear that he's on his way to Jerusalem and that he doesn't expect to, uh, uh, he expects to be persecuted and even killed there in Jerusalem. So Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. He's, he's, go, he's, he's taking a gift that he's collected, an offering that he's collected from all the areas that he's been, and he wants to bring that back to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 21, um, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's urged not to continue on to Jerusalem. He's, uh, uh, believers are telling him, you know, don't, don't do it. You're going to be killed if you go to Jerusalem. But he goes anyway. He visits the elders, the apostles. Uh, he is, in fact, arrested and attacked. Well, I should say attacked and arrested uh, near the temple, right outside of the temple. And he's rescued by Claudius Lysias, who is the, uh, has the position of the commander there in Jerusalem. This is Acts 21. Acts 22, as he's arrested in this big commotion, he speaks to the people. He addresses the people who's arresting him. And uh, you remember what he says there? He, he, he goes over his testimony and his story. Turn to Acts chapter 22, um, several verses there. Find the right place on that, okay? As he speaks to the people who hate him and want to kill him, he tells them of God's mission for him, and his his mission is to take God's word out everywhere and to the Gentiles. When he mentions the name Gentiles, again, the riot stirs up. They hate him for for saying that they want to kill him, and Paul has to be protected. The the tribune... um, rescues him from that crowd, arrests him for his own safety, um, and, uh, and before uh, they, they decide that they want to um, beat Paul so that they can understand why people hate him. That seems strange, doesn't it? Uh, beat him so they can find out what's wrong with him. Uh, and then Paul asserts his citizenship and says, you know, you, you, you can't beat me with, with no cause. And uh, that kind of scares them, and they protect Paul, take him on to jail, and try to find out uh, what's going on. They set up a trial. In Acts chapter 23, Paul uh, appears before the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and he's on trial there. Uh, That's where he raises the objection in front of the Sanhedrin that he's on trial for his beliefs uh, as the Pharisees believe. He believes in the resurrection uh, uh, he, he believes in the resurrection. And so there's a division there, and there's a lot of uh, 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 confusion and animosity. 
And again, the tribune has to come in and rescue Paul from that trial and take him back to prison. Uh, the Jews come up with a plot to ask the tribune to allow Paul to come to trial again. And they, what, what they want to do is uh, kill him uh, on the way to that trial. And, and uh, word is given to the tribune that that's what the plot is. And instead, he sends Paul to the headquarters of the Roman government, which was at Caesarea. Um, I think it's some 70 miles away or so. And so he comes into Acts chapter 24. Paul has been sent to Caesarea. Felix is the governor, and he is, is headquarters in Caesarea. Paul stands before Felix. Um, Felix questions him, finds that he is not guilty of anything worthy of death. He is not guilty of anything, actually. Um, but... As a favor to the Jews, Felix decides to leave Paul in jail for two whole years. Um, and Paul has stayed in jail for these two years, and now Felix passes off. Uh, he's, he is succeeded in his position by Festus. So Felix is no longer a governor. Festus takes his place, and we come into Acts chapter 25. You got all that, right? <laughs> All right. Be a test on that next week. I, I might just do that. I might just, just write up a little test to see how well you understand the flow of the events in Paul's life. But I wanted to just review that with you so that you can see where we are. Now, the question is, why so much emphasis on this part of Paul's life? Why so much emphasis on this phrase? Paul has done a, a tremendous work. We saw that in previous sections in Acts. We saw how he, he gave out the gospel. We saw the confrontations he had. We saw some of the successes that he had. But now this part seems to, to, to linger on. Paul is in this, this, this realm where He's being tried. He's being accused of things. He's in jail. He's in jail for two years. Nothing seems to happen. Uh, the, the guy who was governor is now moved on. We have a new guy on the post, and now we're in Acts 25. So let's cover some events in 25, and then let's draw a summary and significance of all this is happening and give you a challenge for some of the things that you might relate to uh, in your own life. As we mentioned, under Felix, Paul shared his testimony, but Felix decide, decided to leave him in jail, and now Festus is the new governor. Once Festus takes his position, the Jews come at him. And they say to him, why don't you send Paul back to Jerusalem so we can try him there? Let's think about that. You've been accused of a crime that they say the death penalty should apply. You've, you've had a letter sent when you went to Caesarea by the commander there, the tribune, saying that these charges are bogus. You had the trial in Caesarea under Felix, and he found that there's no case here. But he left you in jail. 
And now a new guy comes and the Jews come at you again to say, please send him back to Jerusalem. Now what they wanted to do was to kill him on the way. Question. Why are they so persistent? After two whole years of Paul in prison, they are still going after him to kill him. I can only give an answer in a certain way, is that Satan doesn't let up. He is persistently evil. We can expect him to continue what he does. We can expect Satan to be Satan. We can expect him to continue his work and the fervor of his work. And in ways you might think that the fervor must be because there is a fear of him of what the gospel does to his kingdom, to his control. The gospel breaks the chain that he has on individuals and he does not want to lose that control. The gospel is just that powerful. It has little to do with Paul and his power and much to do with Jesus and his power. Paul is just a reflector. Paul is just reflecting to people who Jesus is. And this one who has been faithfully pointing to Jesus is such a threat to the kingdom of Satan that two years that he has been in jail is not enough. They still want him dead. I want to tell you, you and I have the potential to be witnesses and testimonies for Jesus in the same way in this city in Milwaukee. And when that happens, you need to know that, yes, Satan is coming after you, but wear that as a badge. That Satan is so upset that he wants to get me and you, little me and little you, to stop doing the little thing that we do, and all we do is point to Jesus. Well, I want to tell you something else. He can't succeed. He can't succeed. The very thing that Satan tries to do brings about the purpose of God. I hope you see this as we go, and I'm going to pull it out as we go. But first, let's just look at the particulars in chapter 25. So Festus takes on this new position, and the Jews are pressuring him to send Paul back to Jerusalem, but he doesn't do it. He says, no, I've got Paul in jail in Caesarea, and if you want to come to Caesarea, you can have trial under me, and we can check out your case. If your case is strong then so be it. If Paul is as wicked and evil as you say, then bring your case to me and I'll hear it. That's what Festus does. So I commend Festus in, in this regard. I also commend him that he does this right away. He just takes on this new position. In the first two weeks of him taking on that position, he deals with this case. Now, Felix, on the other hand, has tried to, to push this under the rug. 
He knows Paul is innocent, but the reason why he doesn't want to free Paul is because Felix has this problem. The Jews would cause a revolt. They, 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 don't, they hate Paul, and they want him dead, but, but, but Felix is, is, is the person that's trying to keep peace between the Roman government and the Jewish common people. And so he, he, he wants to, to satisfy both of those, and he doesn't find a way to do that by letting Paul go. So he doesn't want to commit Paul to, 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 to the Jews because he knows that that's injustice, and the Roman uh, government doesn't want to do that. But he can't free Paul, so he leaves him in jail. Festus says, well, let me take this case and let me try to work through it. It says in verse 6, about 10 days later, all appear at Paul's trial in Caesarea. So we're going to have, you, I don't know, you keep the count. How many times has Paul gone to trial over the same charges, by the way, and over the same unsubstantiated charges? So now he's on trial be, uh, before Festus. And they bring these unsubstantiated charges. If you're with me, in, in Acts chapter 25, verse 7. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense. Here's his argument. Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. So that's Paul's defense. It's a solid defense. So Festus, it says here in verse 9, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? I'm not sure that Festus was aware of the plot against Paul in this case. He's, he's new. He's just coming on the scene. Um, and even if he was, he's saying to Paul, look, um, if I send you down to Jerusalem, I'm going to officiate the trial there. Would you, would you allow me to, to officiate a trial there in Jerusalem? I'm not going to just send you to the Jews. I'll officiate it, but we'll do it there. He offers that to Paul. Now, you can imagine, you know exactly why Paul won't do that. For one, it's unfair. It's unjust. He's already had a trial in Jerusalem, he's been sent to Caesarea. He's had a trial in Caesarea under Felix. He's now had a trial there uh, under Festus. And they saying, send him back to trial again in Jerusalem? Paul is like, no, uh, we're not going to do this. He, Paul knows that there's a plot to kill him. And so what he does is he appeals to Caesar. In other words, he says, no, let me have my case before the emperor himself. You could be frustrated if you were in Paul's situation, and maybe in your own life, you're frustrated too. Maybe you don't understand why you've had two years that seemed to be unprofitable. Maybe you don't understand where you had a productive time in your life where you seemed to be doing God's will, and then all of a sudden, it's shut down. Maybe you don't understand the timing that God has sent you through. Maybe you don't understand the circumstances around you. Maybe you don't understand how it is that you have committed yourself to the Lord, and yet 
people hate you and circumstances have turned against you. And now you're in a place where you were traveling from city to city, uh, openly sharing God's word with all the trouble that comes with that. But you were free to do that. You were willing to do that. Now you're confined to one location. You've had two years in jail. And now you come to another trial that seems to be going nowhere. Why? Why this dead end? We all have dead ends in our lives. And we must ask the question, what's happening and what is God doing? In this case, God gives us a little insight. It's kind of like going through the book of Job, you know. We read Job and, 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 and we, we're not in a position of Job. Job is in, he's kind of like in, dark, in the dark. He doesn't know what's going on. He, he isn't privy to the, 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 the uh, uh, conference that they had in heaven where Satan makes the claim and God allows him to pursue it. Job doesn't see all this stuff going on, but we get to see it because we're reading in, in, in the story of the life that Job has encountered, what is he, he's encountered in his life. And so with, with Paul, we, we, we may, we look at outside, but sometimes when you're there, you just wonder why. You just wonder why. God, I want to be productive for you. Why am I in, in this standstill? I want you to see, God has allowed us to see this, that this is the purpose, this is completing the purpose that God has for them, for, for Paul. God is using this so that Paul can be a testimony, not just to, to Claudius Lysias, the tribune, not just to Felix, the governor, but also to Festus, and not just to Festus, but also to King Agrippa, and Bernice, but not just to them, that's a king, but to Caesar himself, to go all the way to Rome. What is common? What takes place every time Paul meets one of these people or is in trial? Here, I'll tell you what's in common. Paul tells the testimony of his life. I was out to hurt Christians. If anybody was out to get them, it was me. And I met Jesus, and wow, what a change in my life. Every time he gets to tell that story, that's exactly what God wants him to do. Now, you and I might think, God, why don't you send me, you know, I'm like, God, why, why don't I become the chaplain of Milwaukee Books? Why don't I get to go to Boston and share the testimony there, you know? Why don't I get to do this and do that? Oh, it would be great if I could stand uh, uh, maybe at Lambeau Field and, and be a chaplain to the Packers and, and speak to a huge group of people and, and maybe thousands would be saved. You see, that's God's area, the result. He's saying just be faithful at sweet communion and speak to those who I place in front of you to share the simple truth of my gospel. God is saying there's young men here today that we haven't had before. We have a group of, of young men in that age group that, that is that 12 to 14, 15, 16 age group that we haven't. He says, speak to them. 
God is saying there's men who are coming from Milwaukee Rescue Mission that we haven't had a chance to speak to. Speak to them. God is saying, look, I am putting you in contact and, 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 and I am putting you in, in the life of individuals and I want my gospel going out to them. God is, is gracious in this way, that he allows individuals to hear the gospel Sometimes that great frustration to those who are speaking the gospel. Who did Paul encounter in the two years when he's in that prison? Who does he interact with? He has that opportunity that God has ordained that he would speak to those individuals. Now let me just go with, I ask you to come with me to verse 13. It says, now when some days had passed, don't take that statement lightly. After Paul appealed to go before Caesar, it says some days had passed. And then all of a sudden, King Agrippa is in town. He and Bernice. Now, you need to know a little something about King Agrippa. This would be Herod Agrippa II, a wicked and evil leader. The story of the Herods is so long and varied and wicked that I can't even give it all to you. In fact, even the relationships, when it says King Herod and Bernice, she's not Queen Bernice. Because that's his sister. That's also his girlfriend, but ain't his wife. This is a wicked alliance that, that's happening here, but this is a king that's in authority. I'd have to look at my notes, but I think it's either his father who killed John the Baptist. Um and one of them who was involved in killing James himself and putting Peter in prison in Acts chapter 12. Paul is now witnessing to these individuals. And it says he arrived in Caesarea. He greeted Festus. I, I would imagine he's there to welcome Festus and congratulate him in his new position. And Festus tells him about this case with Paul, breaks it down to him. He says, hey, you know, tomorrow, verse 22, um, I, I like to hear this case. And Festus says, hey, tomorrow I'll present it to you. Now, I want you to pay attention to verse 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. They entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Let me tell you what's happening. God is lining them up. You see, if, if, if we had an event and we had Paul as the speaker and we asked people to come, I wonder how many would come, but God lined it up himself. We're going to put Paul in jail. We're going to put him on trial. And we're going to bring King Ambernice. 
And we're going to bring this great pomp. We're going to bring all of these official individuals, these important folk who wouldn't come to, to church, but they'll come to this trial. And I'm going to set them up. That's exactly what he does. Prominent men of the city. Can you imagine them all dressed up in their royal array and all their, all of their, uh, all the commanders and all their dress and all their entourage, and they all come to this trial. And it says, the last couple of words in verse 23, Paul was brought in. It must have been a great contrast because you imagine them in all of their royalty and dignity and the prisoner is pretty much just thrown in there. I don't know if Paul had a chance to shave or to bathe or, 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 or to groom or any of that, but he's thrown there in the trial. But God has set this up. And so Festus gives his introduction to King Agrippa, to tell the things that we've already stated, what, how this came to be. And he sets the scene for chapter 26 when Paul will, in fact, give his defense. Now, I want to ask you a few questions. So was it by chance that Paul was left in prison two years by Felix? Was it by chance that Felix didn't resolve Paul's case but instead turned it over to his successor, Festus? Was it by chance that Festus chose to immediately take Paul's case and to set another trial for Paul in Caesarea? Was it by chance that Paul doesn't go along, or excuse me, that Festus doesn't go along with the Jews' plot to send Paul to Jerusalem? He eventually asked Paul if he wants to be sent to Jerusalem, and tries to satisfy in some way the Jews, but he doesn't go along with that. Was it by chance that Paul appeals to Caesar instead of going along with being sent to Jerusalem for trial? Was it by chance that while Paul is waiting to be sent to Caesar, that King Agrippa and Bernice arrive in Caesarea? Was it by chance that Festus reviews Paul's case before King Agrippa and Bernice along with a considerable amount, amount of government officials, this great pomp that we talked about? Was it by chance that Paul had several trials many of them unjust when you think about it, up to this case and including this case. I call all of this victory by defeat. Victory by defeat. God, God uses this tactic of victory by defeat. We saw that in the play on Resurrection Sunday that the kids brought out their little scene of of Satan fretting, right, and, and wondering what's happening with, with, with Jesus and want to make sure he stayed dead. You see, the defeat is 
in Satan's eyes is, is Jesus dead? Seems, Jesus seems to be defeated, but in fact, God brings victory through that defeat. He does the same thing oftentimes in our lives. He has us go through some things that seems to be unnecessary, unprofitable, and just totally confusing to us. But God is using that for his glory, for his own purpose. Now, sometimes God allows us to see what that purpose is, and sometimes it's just a mystery to us. Maybe God is writing a portion of history that he's narrating that you don't hear the narration of, but he's using your life. The point here is trust God and be faithful that he will accomplish his purpose and allow him to do it in your life. Volunteer to God. Tell him you don't understand all that he's doing, but you're willing to be his and to be his servant and to be used in whatever way he desires. Make that an audible agreement from you. Let God know that he has your permission, even though he doesn't have to wait for your permission. This is what we call surrender and worship. Let him know that your life is his to be used as he pleases. But then trust that there's no wasted opportunities. See, like Paul's life, our trials are simply opportunities for us to be a witness. Think about that. Paul's trials, his literal trials, his court trials, were opportunities for him to be a witness to Jesus. Our trials, our ups and downs, our challenges, are opportunities for us to be a witness for Jesus. Make your witness good. Father, we thank you. We don't always see it as an opportunity. And we can question why this? Why now? Here we go again. But you give opportunities. You, as some bystander, as somebody looking on, as somebody who may not even be present now that will hear about this, that that will be a testimony to. I pray that we'll be faithful. I pray today, right now, Lord, that your people will voluntarily open up themselves to be used by you, to give themselves away to be used by you so you can get the glory in their life. Even if at this point in time they don't understand, they don't know all that's going on, they don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but that's a walk of faith. And I would ask, Lord, that you would challenge believers right now to say, I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to stay faithful right where God placed me. Even if I don't understand, 
I'm going to ask for his strength to be a testimony. And then, Lord, I pray there's somebody who's witnessing right now, somebody under trial. And I would pray that they would get the message, that they would come and trust in Christ when they hear that testimony. They will be able to see how great Jesus is that we would, that one would give and surrender their life to walk in obedience to him. What he promises is so real, so rewarding that we can't find anything in this life that we wouldn't give up in pursuit of him and in service to him. So, Lord, I just pray that you bring about faith and you bring about faithfulness through the testimony of believers today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.